Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Glad to be with you. Day two of the week, and another day closer to week two of conference play in the SEC for the college football season. Some leagues a little bit deeper into play, some still a few weeks away from getting started. It is a little bit of a moving target. So calling it week one, week two, week three, week four, eh, that's kind of hard this year in particular. But Yeah, it's week two for the only conference that matters. Oh, Orky coming strong out of the gate. There you go. You say that though. Last night when I was, or yesterday I was doing the podcast, I went to look for the week two schedule, but no, it's it's the week five schedule that they're working with at SCCSports.com. So that that is correct. College press box is where I go to like get all the bo- um, not only the box scores after it's over, but game notes and all those things in advance. And uh, the games coming up this week are part of week five. September 29th through uh, October 5th. So whatever. We'll, we'll figure it all out. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. You want to be a part of the show? That is the best way for you to do it. At Ceasefire, they're always asking the big questions like, why wait for the next device to get the device you want? Right now, you can get any iPhone, $100 off at your local Ceasefire store, uh, Ceasefire store and online at Ceasefire. We do thank you for being with us. Do you know what is going on right now? Right now, Major League Baseball playoffs. Two games, two games going on. One coming up this afternoon, one tonight. And then four more games tomorrow. There may even be more than that that are actually being played tomorrow. Best of three series, as we have 16 teams in the Major League Baseball playoffs. Hey, Dad, you've checked out on this, right? No longer interested? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, when you said what's going on right now, I thought you were going to talk about this Tottenham-Chelsea game that I'm watching, but go ahead. No, no, the Tottenham-Chelsea game was not the one that I was uh, referencing. Minnesota Twins, Houston Astros, they are in the top of the fifth inning. Actually headed to the bottom of the fifth inning in Minneapolis with the Twins leading one to nothing over the Houston Astros. The Astros, by the way, finished the regular season two games below 500, 29 and 31. Twins were pretty good at 36 and 24. I honestly cannot tell you the last time a Major League Baseball game aired on ABC. But that's what's happening right now. You have a Major League Baseball playoff game on regular, plain, over-the-air television. It's on ABC. White Sox are leading the Athletics 3 to nothing. That game is in the top of the fourth inning out in Oakland. The Blue Jays and the Tampa Bay Rays come your way at 4 o'clock. Game is on TBS. 
And then tonight at 6 on ESPN, an incredible pitching matchup. Former Houston Astro, now the ace of the New York Yankees, Garrett Cole, on the mound against current Cleveland Indian and future New York Yankee pitcher Shane Bieber. I mean, he's really good, and he's a pitcher in the big league, so there's a good chance they'll make a run at him at some point, right? I feel you, man. As a Laker fan, I, I get that line of thinking. <laughs> uh, games you've got tomorrow, and uh, tomorrow will be a busy day in the uh, in the big leagues. Where are they? Come on, refresh. There we go. Uh, the Braves are at 11. Braves will play an early game tomorrow. I can't get my computer to work all of a sudden. So yeah, Braves will get the early earliest of the early games. Yeah. Have you got to pull up how that. many how many tomorrow? Oh, I don't know. The only reason I know the Braves are playing tomorrow is my podcast co-host Joe Coleman, the biggest diehard Braves fan of them all, requested that we re- we go a little earlier than usual so he could lock in on that game. So eight baseball games tomorrow. Cincinnati Atlanta is at eleven o'clock central. Houston and Minnesota's at noon. Miami at the Cubs is at 1. White Sox at the A's at 2. Toronto at Tampa Bay at 3. St. Louis at San Diego starts at 4. Yankees-Cleveland is at 6. And then at 9 o'clock tomorrow night, West Coast, Milwaukee at the Dodgers. If you're a baseball fan, that's a pretty darn good day there. Eight playoff baseball games in the same day. I do have a question. Does this even remotely feel like the playoffs to you? Yes, because I have no interest in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, this is playoff baseball. It's, it's you know, end of September. We're about to be in October. This is the time, right? This isn't like the NBA Finals where we're sitting here and it's they're still playing the NBA. It's not The, the timing of it isn't odd. So, no, yeah, yeah this, is, this is the good time. At, at no point this season, as I've watched Major League Baseball, has no fans in the stands bothered me. It just hasn't. Yeah. Not in any it, it hasn't. Me. It does today. Oh, okay. It, 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 w- because when we get to the playoffs, I expect to be sta- see stadiums that are covered in the bunting that yeah. hasn't been used since opening day. And even if you're watching a game in the afternoon, a big electric crowd where the fans are just hanging on every single pitch. And it's a three-game series, which is fine. I mean, I have no problem with the format that they've gone with, with what they're doing here, with what they're working with. It's just weird to not have fans in the stands for playoff baseball. That's that's tough. You feel like they could have at some point, and maybe it was part of the negotiations between uh, the, the teams and the players, but, I mean, college football has found a way to have fans and appropriately socially distance them. The NFL, some places have already done it. Others are starting to implement their new fan policies. It's a smaller capacity, obviously, but Mm -hmm. in a lot of these places, man, case numbers are are just dwindling. So you would think by now for the playoffs, they would be like, you know what? Hey, we got an outside stadium. We can fill it up to a fourth of our capacity and do it that way. At least give yourself some kind of atmosphere. Yeah, I agree with you on that front. You remember the the format for getting teams in was the winner of the division, the second-place team in the division, and then two additional wild cards. 
And so you had three out of the American League East. The Rays won the division. They finished seven games in front of the Yankees, eight games in front of the Blue Jays. Rays, Yankees, Blue Jays, all in the playoffs. American League Central, Twins won it. White Sox finished second, just a game back. Indians were tied for second, also just a game back. And then out west, you had Oakland and Houston make the playoffs. National League, two teams from the NL East with the Braves and the Marlins. In the Central, Cubs, Cardinals, and Reds all made the playoffs. And then out west, you had the Dodgers and the Padres. I'm sorry, Cubs, Cardinals, Reds, and Brewers all made the playoffs from the NL Central. And then the Dodgers and the Padres out west. Let's just pause for a second and marvel at the fact that the St. Louis Cardinals, who went two weeks and change, almost three weeks without playing a game, finished the season playing 58 games and made the playoffs when they had that stupid stretch where they had to play like 40 games in 30 days. Good for the Cardinals. I don't know how much farther, I don't know how far they advance, how it all shakes out when it's all said and done, but that's pretty remarkable given how this season began. The Miami Marlins played all 60 games. Oh, remember they should shut it down, though. Yeah. I hear you, Borky. And then you've got the same thing happening in the NFL today, and it's not near as as harsh as it was when it happened to the Marlins. Rewind a few months when the Marlins got it, and there was legitimate calls for shutting it down, and this would never work, and it would never work, and now you've got three cases of players in the Titans that have it. And it's, oh, huge news. Uh, oh, my gosh. No. And, and good on baseball and now good on the NFL for saying, hey, we knew this was coming. We got this. And look at baseball now. They made it to the playoffs. Interruptions early, but since then, nothing. And now they're, I mean, they're here. Because they didn't panic. For, for all the criticism that Rob Manfred received in the lead-up to the start of the season, where not only you had the issue with COVID, but you also had the negotiations on who was going to get paid and how they were going to get paid, and you know what, what you know, the collective bargaining agreement was a mess. For all the criticism that Manfred received at the beginning of the year, he has to be in line for a little bit of praise, a little bit of an attaboy for getting them to yep. this point. They played a season. They are into the playoffs. They were able to navigate through the difficult, churning waters of some positive COVID tests. A team going almost three weeks without playing a game. They got through it. And the testing numbers in Major League Baseball for the last month of the season have been off the charts good. And so Manford probably deserves some credit. He certainly had his share of blunders early on. But given the fact that they made it, he deserves some credit as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Like the legend of the Phoenix. Mr. West in Guntown on the Ceasefire text line says, Hey guys, I'm not trying to be negative or positive. 16 teams now, when it goes to 8, it's bubble time for Major League Baseball. Good. Because it works. 
The NBA made it to the finals, guys. I mean, uh, look, I know people don't like the NBA. I understand why. Ratings are down. We're not going to break down much basketball here. But not a single positive case. They are at the finals now. They started this months ago. And not a single case, and they're at the finals. They're going to successfully complete the bubble without a single COVID-related interruption. So it works. It's pretty remarkable. Kelso in Ocean Springs says, How sad is it that my World Series champion Washington Nationals couldn't make a 16-team playoff? I don't know, Kelso. Can't relate. Hey, Dad, how how sad is it? It's not great. <laughs> it's not fun. Well, at least the Nationals my, didn't get wrapped up in the I'll settle for my Lakers scandal. in the NBA Finals, though. There you go. There you go. You going to ignore uh, Mike my Oxford. do you feel old today uh, fact, by the way? I was getting there. I've been waiting for this. I was getting there. Um, Mike in Oxford says uh, expanding to include sub-500 teams is not playoff baseball. That'll work itself out. I especially don't mind that in this particular year. Given the small sample size and whatnot. That's just me, though. All right, Borky says uh, he, he wanted Hey Dad to attempt to make us feel old, and so go ahead, Michael Borky. Yeah, it, I mean, it makes me feel old too, kind of, even though I was eight when this happened and you guys were in college. But remember the Titans. Was we re- are the Titans. Was released 20 years ago today. Not a huge fan Good of the movie. Wait, what? I'm not a huge fan. Uh, a, a huge fan of the movie Remember the Titans. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. Denzel Washington, movie. left side, strong side. You're not a fan Denzel. of that movie? I love Denzel, but I mean, you're trying to sell me that on the final play of the game they ran a, a reverse 75 yards for a touchdown? Come on. So that's your hang-up. Well, there's a lot. Well, I mean, movie. like, if you're going to give me based on a t- true story, it would, there were a lot of things that in there that, that that don't match up. Like Bertier didn't get hurt until after the season. Uh, Coach Boone was actually really not a nice person, uh, and the team was made, really really good when he took over. Oh, they were fantastic. They, they, that final game, they actually blew out that team in the state championship game. There's just a lot of stuff in there that I'm just not. I just I just don't. I just not not my favorite football movie. But it's dramatized for Hollywood. I mean, if you if you dug deep that. into all the true stories, you're probably going to be disappointed with a lot of them. I, I get that. That's why maybe I like the ones that are just a little bit more like they are. You know, they're fake. Or miracle, which is pretty much. Exactly how it went. Miracle down. is the good. Is, is I like Miracle more than I like Remember the Titans. I like Remember the Titans. It's just not my favorite sports movie at all. Uh thirty million dollar budget did one hundred and sixteen million in the U.S., one hundred and thirty-seven million worldwide. So it was successful from that front. I don't know that anybody really cares about that. They got my money at the theater. Hey, Dad. It was not a documentary, though. I mean, it no. was it was a you know loosely based Day on story. a true story. Yeah. yeah. Um, they do point out in the historical accuracy category on Wikipedia that it has strayed from the actual events that occurred on many occasions to add new mil- uh, elements of teamwork, commitment, and friendship to the film. 
The Alexandria schools were racially integrated in 1965, and T.C. Williams was created by merging three racially integrated schools. The Titans, by the way, were ranked second in the nation at the end of the 1971 season, finishing 13-0. However, despite the movie showing multiple close games, most games were actually blowouts, with nine of their 13 wins being shutouts. They were dominant, yeah. In the movie, Coach Boone states, we are not like all the other schools in this conference. They're all white. They don't have to worry about race. We do. Apparently that was false. All the schools the Titans faced were integrated years prior. While the team is at camp, you remember they went off to camp, it shows Coach Boone waking them up at 3 in the morning to go for a run. This did not occur. Neither did his speech at Gettysburg. The team did go on a tour of Gettysburg, although it was not as dramatic as was displayed in the film. (laughs) Ronnie Sunshine Bass was far from being the only one with long hair at the time. Even Jerry Bertier had long hair. But in interviews, Bass said, I'll say for the record, my hair was never that long. Also says the kiss with uh, Jerry never actually happened. Am I poking too many holes in what most people just consider to be a good movie? A little bit. I think Borky's whole point was this came out 20 years ago and you guys were in your 20s when it did. Do you feel old? It's just mind-blowing that that movie is that old. I mean, how fast time goes. What year did it come out? 2000. 2000? I thought I went to see that with my wife, or I guess she would have been my girlfriend at the time, but that's that's not accurate. We weren't dating then, so no. Ooh, careful. <laughs> I mean, not sure where you're going with that, but just, you know. I, I'm sorry, I don't remember who I went to a game with, or a, a movie with, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Aaron's mad. He said, thanks for ruining one of my favorite movies. Sorry, boss. Have, uh, Pretty decent soundtrack. Had the chance well, got- to meet Ron Bass, uh, the real sunshine, a few times. He, he lived where I grew up, worked for the local uh, NBC TV station there for a while. He's a big guy, and he was his movie character, uh, you know, skinny in shape. Mr. Bass uh, let himself go as an adult. He was a pretty, pretty overweight, tall guy. <laughs> but he, <laughs> when my dad introduced me to Ron Bass, you know, this is Sunshine from Remember the Titans. I was like, Are you sure? Kelso says, uh, my dad played against T.C. Williams that year. He said they got their butts kicked that season. He went to Culpeper High. Nice. Uh, here's one. Hey, Dad is right. Nobody wins a state championship on a backside reverse. Let's throw a Hail Mary. Yeah. Somebody says it was corny. What sports movie really isn't corny when you really think about it? They're all very cliched. You know, there's no... There's just no way. Doesn't mean they're not good. But, I mean, even Miracle, which is my favorite sports movie, it's got a little corny to it. It does. It does. Um, you know, look, re- regardless of the sports movie you're talking about, you can find somebody out there who hates it. There are people out there that hate Field of Dreams. I don't know how, but they exist. There are people out there. Is there anybody that doesn't like Bull Durham? Uh, I haven't met one if there is. I'm sure they exist. Yeah. Don't know that I want to meet that person. There are people that hate Rudy. Oh, yeah. 
Borky? If it wasn't Notre Dame, it would be different. But just the, oh, Notre Dame, just this, you know, pumping up of Notre Dame as if it's some, like, special grand institution where everyone else is just trying to achieve the integrity of Notre Dame drives me crazy. Hmm. We have multiple people who mention Hoosiers, including one that says, Hoosiers isn't corny, darn it. Uh, they went I mean, with an the alternate word. Where, the scene where they, they measure the, 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 the lane and the rim, yeah. that's a little corny. Hoosiers has one of the all-time great wet blanket girlfriends in it, too. Ooh, good point. Barbara Hershey's character is just completely miserable. Uh, Kimball says, same thing with the blind side. A lot of stuff that was added there. You think? Grady says, the Sandlot is the best. That's a good sports movie. Pretty darn good. There's only one problem I have with the Sandlot, and that's this guy is supposed to be the Dodgers announcer. But everybody knows Vince Scully is the Dodgers announcer. Well, that and their nighttime baseball game in the summer. I mean, we're supposed to assume that there is enough light from the fireworks for like two hours to play a game in the middle of the summer. Although yeah. that is one of the great scenes from the movie where they go, Oh, yeah. Night game! Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's a vote for any given Sunday, one for blue chips. Somebody says Friday Night Lights isn't corny. Friday Night Lights is another one that they really tore up the story, though. Like in Friday Night Lights, the book they play, they lose in the state semifinals. They don't lose in the state championship. And they're like Brian. Varsity Blues isn't corny. <laughs> it's something though. It's a little corny. Mox. <laughs> Varsity Blues your is the life. Varsity Blues is the corniest of corny, but it's still fantastic. Oh, man, Sports Talk Mississippi. little light start with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Luke Johnson will join us next. Normally on the Farm Bureau phone line, he's in studio with me when we come back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Normally our Tuesday conversations with Luke Johnson come via the Farm Bureau phone line. Don't forget, you can check out favorites.com and go with the home team Mississippi Farm Bureau. But today, Luke happened to be making his way through North Mississippi for a speaking engagement tonight, so he stopped by the studio, and welcome. Glad to be here, man. I, uh, yeah, just came straight up uh, from, from Laurel and, you know, text you, and glad to, glad to be here. I mean, every day, uh, do it in one Super Talk studio, but it's good to be in another one. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly uh, good to see. Hey, look, look, there's no way we can tiptoe into this. Like, I can try and nice it up or whatever, but what the heck happened on Saturday? Southern Miss was up 14 to nothing, and then they gave up 66. First drive went 75 yards, touchdown. Uh, forced two lane, three and out. They hit one play, 88-yard touchdown pass to Brownlee. So it's 14 nothing. Then two lane fumbles the – the kickoff return. So Southern Miss is set up uh, at their own 25 going the opposite way, get into two-lane territory, throw a pick. Then uh, next drive, have them deep, and Central Latham gets called for a targeting call, which is pretty iffy, so your defensive um, captain's out of the game. Two-lane drives down, ties it up. Southern Miss comes back 
and hits another big pass, 61-yard pass, 21-14. And then um, the adversity started. You felt like uh, they went checked out mentally at the end of the first half. Tulane scored 17 unanswered, and then they scored 30, outscored them 35-3 to in the second half. And hmm. you felt like halfway through the third quarter they physically checked out. Did it feel like Tulane was good? They made us look good. I mean, they're supposed to be like a mid-American team this year. You know, sure. Keon Howard left after he got pulled after the second drive, and so they brought in uh, Michael Pratt, who's a redshirt freshman, and he lit it up. But they they found out they could just run the ball. Will Hall wanted to throw the ball early on, and Scotty Walden had already said, you know, if they beat us in the passing game, we'll shake their hands. But man, four hundred and thirty yards on the ground for Tulane. So. Tulane in the game attempted 21 passes. They were 9 of 21 for 142 with a couple of touchdowns. But on the ground, 54 carries for 430 yards and seven touchdowns. Their leading rusher was a guy by the name of Carroll, averaged 11 yards per carry. Hooterson or Hutterson? Hutterson, he's from Pedal, yeah. He, he averaged 11 yards per carry. And those are their number two and number three backs. Spears scored the first two touchdowns on the ground, and then he got knocked out of the game with, a, I think, a knee injury. Hmm. So Carroll came in the game, caught some, ran some. Hutterson came in the game. He, he ran over 200 yards. Yeah, there was, again, Southern Miss tried to play four down. They, they played four down some. They mixed, mixed three down linemen with four down linemen, but never got any sort of rush or or uh, they, they call it resetting the line of scrimmage. The line of, re- of scrimmage was reset on the Southern Miss side over and over again. Backs found holes, and they just got physically dominated in the second half. Luke, I, I'm just going to be honest. I don't know what, I, I don't know where it goes from here. Um, I mean, if, if we're just being honest, and, and I'm, I'm not being flippant when I say that. So you know, the disappointing loss to South Alabama. I think South Alabama is a decent football team. And then the blown lead against Louisiana Tech. And then this on Saturday, and it doesn't feel like it gets a whole lot easier. I mean, you got to go to North Texas. North Texas can score points. FAU, pretty decent team. UTEP's terrible. So they're three and one this year. With the one loss being to Texas by 6,000 points. What I'm saying is they're usually 0 and 4 at this point. Okay. Liberty's undefeated. I know absolutely nothing about Rice. Haven't played yet. Okay. You know, Western Kentucky later in the year, not bad. UAB at the end of the year, obviously not bad. UTSA is undefeated also. I skipped over UTSA, who is undefeated. So so how, how do you avoid recreating 2012? It's It's hard not to, and that's... What I said walking out of the rock the other day, I hope 2020 isn't the new 2012. You you just feel like it was a perfect storm again. Um, I think a lot of people thought that uh, they would play better. But it, Scotty said something in, in the press conference that when you're up 14 to nothing, you should look at the scoreboard and not think, should we really be winning at this point? And I think he was showing a little bit about maybe the mental makeup of, of this team. And it's it just seems to be a team that, that does not respond to adversity very well and folds the cards really easy. We saw that down the stretch last year, and you and I talked about it during the during off air. We're we're halfway through 2012 right now. You end the season on a three game losing streak in 2019. You've already lost six in a row, and it's 
this week is going to be the telltale. Do they come out? Because you even at the Tulane game, you get blown out, and it's the most points ever given up by a Southern Miss team in the Rock. At the same token, you were about to be a three-touchdown lead in the first quarter. Yeah. So at least they started the game hot. And you look at North Texas, North Texas um, averaging about 6'10 a game on offense, but they're giving up 640. So you think on offense at least maybe you can move the ball. I ought to be able to score some points on Saturday. Yes. Um, In terms of, you know, like mental makeup, I mean, I guess there are two, two sides of this. One, with the team. Are, are they going with the whole circle the wagons against the world attitude, or is it just mailing it in? And then the other piece is with, with fans. I mean, no secret what attendance looks like. And, and obviously this is a unique year, but, I mean, it is a fight to get the support that the team and the program needs. Uh, baseball at Southern Miss has that and, and has been able to hang on to it through remarkable consistency uh, and winning just year after year after year after year. Football has fought for that even in seasons when they were pretty good. How do you overcome fan apathy? People were willing, and people stayed Saturday. I was surprised by that. Scotty Walden, even in the press conference, said he was surprised and thanked the fan base, even when they were getting blown out. I think people were willing to give it another shot for the two-lane game because of how the La Tech went. Mm-hmm. Southern Miss played Tulane at the end at the last uh, in the bowl game, the last game of, of last season. This year, so two times in the last ten years they played Tulane. Okay, they hadn't played since 2010. And I think Saturday's game was not just a telling of the two teams; it was a telling of where the two programs are ten years later. That's what's really difficult for a Southern Miss fan to swallow. I do feel like there after Saturday there'll be a bunch of people that check out. You wonder. If they if they get destroyed on the road this weekend or don't put up a fight this weekend, the Rock will be extraordinarily bare on October the tenth. I think. Bigger picture going forward, Jay Hobson steps down, Scotty Walden. I mean, I think if we're being honest, the the hope from Jeremy McLean's office all the way on down was that it was a, a turnaround and you got your guy right there. That it's clear this is the future. I, if they go three and seven or eight or whatever the number of total games is, that's hard to, to sell your fans on that with your interim coach. So so where does it go forward? I think the the audition for Scotty Walden is going to be the next two weeks. If they they got to win one of these, they they have to win one. They they just have to because it's going to snowball. It's going to snowball even more. And you talk about some of these teams that typically you haven't lost to ever. I mean, are you going to be, are you going to be zero and five on the road at UTEP? You know, are you are you going to are you going to be playing on Halloween against Rice with with one win? You lose to one of those, you you won't win a game. And so, the next two weeks, I think, will tell the tale on Scotty Walden's audition. And I, this is coming from a guy that that wants him to succeed and and is a pro Scotty guy, but I think. The next two weeks, you'll start seeing they're going to have to go. They're going to go young offensive mind. I, I just believe that if it's not Scotty, they'll look at an American coordinator or maybe a, a low end Power Five coordinator. But again, where's the money going to come from? Um, Jay Hobson made five hundred thousand dollars. Scotty Walden's salary, and I'm not sure. We we've tried to find out whether it's been bumped up at all. But entering this season, Scotty Walden's salary was one hundred ten thousand dollars, and 
There's at least one assistant coach on the Southern Miss staff that doesn't make $100,000. And I think sometimes people from the outside can take cheap shots at Southern Miss at the same time. Jeremy McLean probably has one of the most difficult jobs in the entire country. I don't think there's any question. And, and it was hard for his predecessors, which may be part of the reason that they weren't there all, all that long. Um Oh, it's an incredible challenge. And one of the things that people forget about the Jay Hobson hire, Todd Munkin left for the Buccaneers the week before signing day. So it was an incredibly late hire. Yeah. And if it wasn't for the Tampa Bay Buccaneer job, Munkin would have probably been there another year, and you'd be in a whole different set of, set of circumstances. You're generally an optimistic person. G- give me a reason for optimism in this. Give, give me a bright spot. The only pl- card you can play right now is the Homer card. It's your university. <laughs> you know, you're a Southern Miss person, so you you just you're with them through the thick and thin. But man, walking out of the rock the other night as a player, just like man, this is embarrassing. Like we used to, I proposed to my wife after we smoked Tulane on the field when I'm, I was a senior. Like Tulane's one of those games. It's a right now, and you're gonna you, you know you're gonna beat us by six touchdowns. You just Homer card. It's all you can play. All right. Luke Johnson, he's co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel, joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Just happens to be in studio today. Always good to see you, my man. Thanks. Good to be with you all. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Appreciate Luke Johnson stopping by and joining us this afternoon. Tough times for Southern Miss football right now. Sitting at zero and three, and doesn't get a whole lot easier in the in the short term. And you got to try to figure out how to kind of rally the troops. I mean, that may be a bad cliche, but kind of understand what I uh, what I mean. Just a Bor- just the worst time possible for Southern to be down with State and Ole Miss having so much excitement around their program in Jackson State. Now, you know Southern, if they were winning. They, they, they could they could hold their footing there, but with them if if, if Luke is right and they're, and they're struggling like this, it's going to be tough for them to keep what what fan interest they have. I would agree. I would agree with that. Orky alluded to this early, and we didn't really get into it. The uh, Tennessee Titans have closed their facilities until Saturday after three players and five team personnel members tested positive. For coronavirus. No official decision has yet been made about the Titans game on Sunday against the Steelers in Nashville. But all accounts point to the NFL wanting and intending to play the game as scheduled, with perhaps Monday night being an option instead of Sunday that would give them an extra day. Orky, as you've read up on this. It's kind of a kind of a weird situation, but it doesn't seem like anybody's panicking. No, it doesn't. NFL media kind of reacted to this in a way I, I found funny because I, I tell people this all the time. NFL media, NFL people don't watch or pay attention to college football. It's almost like it's two different groups of people. I mean, there's some crossover, but not really. And the reaction I saw to this today was was crazy compared to at this point, a college football game gets postponed or whatever, and it's just, oh, yeah, you know, it's kind of how it happens. There was a, a heightened reaction from the NFL side of things because this is really the first time they're having to deal with it. First game that may have been impacted. First 
significant amount of positives that were not false positives from back a few months ago. Um, But it's just three guys, as far as the actual team goes. They're going to test everybody multiple times. The Vikings, who they just played, have no positives. So, knock on wood, all good there. And this is what they have been preparing for, right? You get those three guys. You isolate the ones that were in close contact. You test them multiple times. But if by Saturday they don't show up as positive, they play in the game, you may move it back a day, but this is what you deal with. I think it's crazy, though, that they're going to not let the Titans practice until Saturday and potentially play a game on Sunday. But I guess this is what you have to deal with. I suppose uh, Roger Goodell issued a statement to chief executives and owners today. It was a memo from the NFL office. It said, this is not unexpected. There will be players and staff who will test positive during the season. Dr. Alan Sills told us this going into the year. Um, Team statements out of an abundance of caution. The organization has decided to work remotely today as we follow NFL protocols related to the COVID-19 virus. Team sources have confirmed to ESPN that the Titans will prepare for this week's game primarily through virtual film study meetings. Steelers also issued a statement saying they've been in contact with the NFL about the positive tests. Their statement says we have been informed to proceed with our game preparations for Sunday's game until we are informed otherwise. We will provide more information when available. The Vikings are pressing pause on everything today. They were the Titans' opponent this past Sunday, and they are expected to play at the Houston Texans this coming week. Goodell's memo said that all players and staff who have tested positive will be isolated and monitored, and their family members will also be offered testing as well. In addition, the referees who work Sunday's game will be tested and monitored. Roger Goodell said each of us has a special responsibility to keep others safe and healthy. Healthy, with the, uh, What each of us does affects not only ourselves and our immediate families, but many others on our own clubs and on other clubs. The, uh, the NFL is still doing some exploring and some digging and some investigating, trying to figure out where contacts were made. And for what it's worth, we know who the three players are. Okay. It is Daquan Jones, a defensive lineman, not exactly impactful. Uh, just gets a couple tackles a game on average. Uh, the long snapper, Bo Brinkley. So they're going to be without their long snapper. And a practice squad tight end named Tommy Hudson. Those are your three guys. So as far as you know, playing the game on Sunday, not like it's Derrick Henry. Speaking of the Titans, how cool is the Steven Guskowski story? So bad on opening night on Monday Night Football with the world watching. Twitter punchline, Titans fans want him gone. Ends up kicking the game winner against the Broncos. Kicks a game winner the next week. And then this past week against Minnesota, they don't win without Gostkowski. He kicked six field goals in the game. Six! And the Titans won again. Undefeated so far this season. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. One hour in the books.
Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, glad to have you along. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That's the best way for you to be a part of the conversation. Happy to welcome Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable, WJOX in Birmingham, and uh, talk some college football with him. Brownie, what what a weekend that was. Seven games in seven cities. All of them came off without a hitch. Hey, about 25% capacity in uh, in all of the stadiums, but they, they didn't feel terrible. I mean, it, it wasn't packed houses, but it wasn't bad, was it? You know, in, in fact, Richard, I, w- I would say the Auburn-Kentucky game, which was, you know, was the first one. Obviously, Ole Miss. I think most people in your listening audience are watching Ole Miss, Florida. I had it on, but obviously the volume. You know, I, I dedicated to Auburn, Kentucky, and they had, you know, they had spaced out the students and then piped in some noise as well. And then you, you know, you had your normal crew: Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, and Cole. And I, as the game was being played, I honestly thought this is probably the most normal feeling sporting event since the pandemic started. You know, I've, I've watched some baseball, but it just hasn't felt normal. Um, the NFL, I think, has done better than anyone to try to, to normalize, it as, uh, normalize it as much as possible. But there are times, you know, when they show a full shot and you just see the empty seats, just like last night. And you just it, – it, it, but to me, the Auburn-Kentucky game felt normal, and then that really didn't change the whole day. When I flipped over to – um, Ole Miss in Florida, it, it, it felt pretty normal. Alabama, Missouri did. I mean, it was it was one of the most normal feeling days sports wise I've had since this whole thing started. You know, we talked some about this yesterday, but I really thought the icing on the cake in terms of what a stadium felt like and sounded like came in the last game of the day in the the South Carolina Tennessee game. I mean, yeah, th- there yeah. was some pretty good juice in there for that ball game. Yeah, there was, uh, and unfortunately for those fans, they they went home sad, and uh, that was a weird ending. <laughs> it was a weird game, really. But no, you're absolutely right. Texas A&M had some too. I, I mean, it was. I'm sure it was hard for their fans to get involved. But you know, uh, the Corps of Cadets who live together and and you know do all their drills together, they were pretty much just sitting in their normal group. So it it had you know not a normal big Texas A&M game. It was Andy, and then they were playing bad on top of all that. But, yeah, those two late games um, after Alabama and Missouri were over, when I started flipping around to those two pretty heavily, um, you, 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 you had a pretty good feeling from those. So, yeah, I think the SEC – and I'll, t- I'll point this out, too, and this had not occurred to me until yesterday. Uh, Greg Sankey was the speaker of the Monday Morning Quarterback Club here in Birmingham, and they asked me – it was a virtual meeting, so they asked me to kind of interview him on the stream rather than him just give kind of a virtual speech. They thought it would be less awkward. Um, clearly they misjudged my interview skills, but, uh, <laughs> Greg, Greg, Greg pointed out, and I had not thought of this, that the SEC is really the first conference, um, to schedule their start date, stick with that schedule and not miss any games in week one. And I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but he's absolutely right. Nobody else has pulled that one off. What was the level of optimism of getting from week one to week two and having a repeat performance from the commissioner? Um, you know, when that was discussed, and you know him, he's very much a, you know, let me worry about today, today, and I'll worry about Saturday, Saturday, you know? Um, yeah. and, and yesterday in, in the talk, he just made mention of the fact that, you know, they had done their first round of testing at all the schools post-game. 
and he was eagerly anticipating those results. Now, I assume they've received those results by now. Um, I don't think the SEC makes those public. I guess the schools, you know, do in whatever fashion they choose to. Um, I know Gus Malzahn today said he anticipates having everyone available for Georgia, so that would indicate to me that at least at Auburn, um, all those tests came back negative. So, um, you know, that, that was just kind of, I think, his, his view on it is, really, I can't look to the Saturday games. I've got to worry about the Monday testing. And I guess for 10 or 11 weeks, that's going to be kind of his, his mode of operation is you play a game and you do the test and you just hope uh, enough people pass the test that you can play all seven games the next week. Ryan Brown joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. He's uh, agreed to spend a couple of segments with us here. So I'd love, if we could, to just kind of walk through what we saw on yeah. Saturday. And and let's, let's yeah. start kind of at the beginning. Auburn and Kentucky had that 11 a.m. kickoff on the SEC Network. There was a lot of optimism surrounding this Kentucky team coming in, and I think the biggest reason for that optimism was because of the talent that they've got at the line of scrimmage, especially on the offensive side. And I don't imagine that Kentucky really intended to have Terry Wilson throw the ball 40 times in that ball game, but maybe the game flow kind of dictated it. What was your takeaway, I guess, first of all, about Kentucky? Did, did they disappoint you? Did they perform about how you thought? Yeah, you know, that offensive line was as advertised early on, especially their first drive. They just kind of went right down the field on Auburn in their first drive. And, you know, Auburn, first of all, you know, they've, they've lost two almost first-rounders. Uh, Derek Brown certainly was um, to the NFL. So you knew they were rebuilding their defensive line a little bit. And then Big Cat Bryant was banged up and injured and didn't even start. Right. So, you know, you're already down one of your bigger linemen. Um so I don't think that was a surprise that Kentucky had some success early, but Kevin, and that's kind of the way it works for Kevin Steele too. A lot of times teams will have some success early. He's really good at in-game adjustments, and generally you're not having the success in the fourth quarter you had in the first quarter running the football. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right about Terry Wilson throwing the ball 40 times. And and for those in, in your listening audience that didn't see it, there was a super controversial moment at the end of the first half where I think everybody thinks Kentucky scored, and for some reason it was overturned on replay and nobody can quite figure it out. Terry Wilson threw an awful interception that turned into an Auburn pick six, only to have that wiped off the board by a targeting within the play. So it was a really bizarre end of the first half. And after that, it just felt like Kentucky just, just kind of collapsed. And Terry Wilson turned the ball over a little bit in the second half. And I agree 100% with you. There's no way that Mark Stoops and Eddie Graham let him throw in 40 times. He's not, he's, he's not a good enough quarterback to throw 40 times in a game. Yeah. Kind of tying that game together with what you were watching on the other monitor with Florida and Ole Miss. We'll get to Florida in just a second, but based on what you saw from Ole Miss, where they put up 35 points, really there was a, a fairly reasonable opportunity for them to have a couple of other scores uh, in that game. How do they match up with Kentucky this coming week? Um, well, we do a segment on our show every Tuesday that is upset alert. We pick any game in America we want. Um but, you know, you, well, any game within the six or more. And my upset alert is Ole Miss plus the six and a half. And I think they win the game outright. Yeah. Um, I, I just look at what Matt Corral did. And I actually thought of you so much in that game where you should be honored, Richard. Because Thanks. I remember back in the summer when we were talking Ole Miss and I mentioned Plumley starting and you interrupted me and said, that's not a given, you know. And I had just assumed it was his job. I, I kind of thought the Matt Corral era was over, and boy, was I wrong. I mean, he, I thought he 
at times looked extremely good. And numbers-wise, really only behind K.J. Costello and, and Kyle Trask. I mean, you look at the numbers, there's, there's where you find Matt Corral. And if you can do that against Florida's defense, I don't know why you can't do it against So I, I like Ole Miss to win this game. I, I think Kentucky starts 0-2, and I think Ole Miss can win this game outright. Do you think that Florida is better? I mean, they were great offensively. Kyle Pitts is he is an NFL tight end playing for the Florida Gators right now. I, I think trial, Kyle Trask has really advanced and made a bunch of good decisions and can make all the throws. Do you think defensively, though, they are better than they played on Saturday? I think they are. You know, I go back and forth the whole time, Grantham. There are times where um, – you know, and I know a lot of a lot of your listeners are some. You got some Mississippi State fans there that that remember this about Grantham. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like it's boomer bust with him. It seems like there are games where, and I'll tell you what, I go back specifically. Um, gosh, remembering the years gets so so difficult. They all run together. Um, I want to say it was 2017. Alabama was in Starkville, and State had every opportunity to win that game, and Alabama had the ball late, and Grantham just kept blitzing. And it, hey, Dad, you can jump in. Was that was that seventeen? Is that right? That, that's correct. And and the way he's describing it is correct as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that, don't you? Hey, Dad. He he blitzed that entire final possession, and yeah. finally Hurts burned him to uh, Calvin Ridley on the little slant. And I, I was having a pretty good day, uh, Ryan. I appreciate you uh, throwing <laughs> that out at me. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's. So, so to me, that's what you get with Grantham. You get a guy he loves to blitz, and sometimes, man, sometimes that just completely throws it off. But sometimes when the blitz isn't working, it's like he he refuses to give up on it. He's going to blitz till he gets home, and and you can get burned. So I do think they're better than they look. Um, but I was very impressed by the way Ole Miss picked them apart a little bit. Well, we have managed to talk about two games. There were seven on Saturday. We will focus on Mississippi State LSU when we come back and get some of Ryan's thoughts on that. We'll also talk a little bit about Alabama and whether or not they were really, really good and took their foot off the gas or if there is any reason to be concerned. Spoiler alert, I don't think there is. We'll continue our conversation with Ryan Brown. He is co-host of the Jocks Roundtable on WJOX in Birmingham. Quick timeout right now. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Top of the eighth inning, White Sox leading it 4 nothing over the Oakland Athletics. And then with uh, Minnesota and Houston, they are in the bottom of the eighth inning. 1-1 game just underway down in Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Tampa Bay scoreless Yankees and Cleveland game one coming up later tonight. Sports Talk Mississippi, continuing our conversation with Ryan Brown. Brown WJOX in Birmingham on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Mississippi State and LSU in Baton Rouge on Saturday. Ryan, let's start with what you thought you knew going in, and now what do you think you know post-game? I thought uh, Bo Pelini would have this defense you know, with respect to everything they lost, not missing a beat schematically. And that they would have some holes to fill, but obviously they have one of the best players in America to build around in that secondary. And I thought that Mike Leach's system is so timing-oriented. The receivers have to be in the spot. The quarterback knows right where they are at all times. That with this jerky offseason we've had, sputters and stops and 
not knowing when you're going to play and, and all those things and no spring and this weird summer that there's no way a timing offense could work immediately right out of the gate. And I was wrong about all of those things. I was going to say, upon further review. <laughs> I was blown away. Blown away. Could not believe what I was watching. I mean, I watched every minute of it and could not believe it. I mean, to go to Tiger Stadium, and I know, look, there, there was a limited crowd there. But to go to Tiger Stadium against LSU talent, not a lot of those guys are in the NFL or opted out or whatever, but that's still LSU talent. And to put 623 on them and to turn the ball over like they did and make the mistakes they made and still win that game, I could not believe what I was watching. Could not believe it. Brian, I had somebody say to me on Saturday night that that was a coaching mismatch of epic proportions. That um, that that Mike Leach absolutely coached circles around Ed Ogeron, and that maybe we shouldn't have been surprised. Well. Um, I, and look, I don't know X's and O's as good as some people. And I, here's what I do know. Two things. Number one, this is the best talent Mike Leach has ever had in his life. Um, he, he, did point. Not have this, he did not have this quality of player in Lubbock, Texas, or Pullman, Washington. You're, you're recruiting southeastern kids now. And, you know, the, just, just the state of Mississippi produces better players than what he's getting in Lubbock, Texas, and Pullman, Washington. But... And, and certainly there are outliers like Michael Crabtree, but yeah, as a whole, sure. I certainly agree with well, you. I mean, yeah, and, 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 you know, not that he recruited Gardner Minshew. He got him as a graduate transfer, but that guy's still a starter in the NFL right now. So, And, and you know where he's yeah. from, right? Yeah, he's from Mississippi, oddly enough. That's right. Isn't is that funny? Yeah. Um, but this is the best talent he's ever had. So I've always thought Mike Leach was a good coach, who's a quirky guy and, and runs a system that, you know, is a great equalizer, but now you've given him talent, and you've probably given him the best defense that he's going to have. I mean, there, you know, he, he, Alex Grinch had a decent defense for him, or a good defense for him when you're at Washington State, and Ruffin McNeil had one one year at, at Texas Tech, but I think consistently you're going to have the best defense you've ever had. Um, the other thing, that, uh, as far as coaching mismatch goes, Roman Harper was on our show today, the former Alabama and Saints player, and now with the SEC Network. Yep. And he was on the Alabama team that faced Mike Leach um, in, the, in the Cotton Bowl where Alabama beat Texas Tech. And, and I just asked him because, you know, my untrained eye, Richard, it looked like Bo Pelini got in the man and never left it. He never made any adjustments. And Roman kind of agreed. He said, you can play man against that attack, but there are certain ways you have to do it. And Bo Pelini never did it. He never adjusted. So it, maybe the coaching mismatch might not have been Leach v. Orgeron, but it was certainly Leach versus Pelini, and Leach, Leach absolutely worked low Pelini in that game. Yeah. Do you think there's some programs in the SEC, maybe Tennessee at the top of the list, although I think they're pleased with the direction under Jeremy Pruitt that are going to look up in a couple of years and go, why did we not go get Mike Leach? Yeah, I, th- I think Saturday night there had to be some ADs that thought, boy, I wish I'd had the you-know-whats to make that higher. Um, because plenty of them have had the opportunity, and I think Mike Leach has shown, and this is not meant as a slight to Mississippi State by any stretch of the imagination, Mike Leach has shown that he was desiring of an SEC job. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the first one the first one that offered him, he said yes. So, 
you know, I, I think there are a lot of hires that have happened since Mike Leach has been established that these ADs now who have a coach that is questionable at this moment might be looking back and saying, why did I not do that? I had every opportunity and I didn't do it. And in that vein, tip the cap to uh, to John Cohen and to Mark Keenum yeah, at Mississippi absolutely. State for uh, for pulling that off. Um, final question about that game. Do you completely change the way you look at LSU based on the outcome of their game against Mississippi State for, for the season as a whole, or not so much? Well, I know well, I do, because I, I don't know how good they are a quarterback. I mean, Miles Brennan, he, he settled in, but boy, early on, Miles Brennan did not look good. Uh, they look like they've reverted back to the less miles zero offensively, at least initially they have. You know, it, it looks nothing like what the Joe Brady era looked like. So I don't know if they're going to be offensively challenged. But the thing, you know, when Les Miles was doing that, he had a quality defense to go with it. And if you can't get the defense squared away, there's no way you can play the Les Miles style of offense and, and win games in this conference. So, I mean, I guess completely changed. You know, I thought I thought LSU could have been a 7-3 and three program already this year in the 10-game yeah. season. You know, obviously I had them beating State. So now I think they're probably more like a 6-4. and four. So that's not going to blow me away if they're 6-4. Alabama beats Missouri 38-19 and looked like they were just kind of pedal to the metal out of the gate, coasted a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know, a couple of thoughts I had, and I'm, I'm just kind of curious your reaction. One, that defense felt like it was more of a vintage Nick Saban defense yep. and less of what we've seen the last couple of years. And, and part of that's because of health. And number two, Mac Jones is really good. Yeah, and I'm not surprised by Mac Jones. I think I've talked about it with you before. Um, yeah. I, I think some, sometimes I feel like I was a bigger Mac Jones fan than almost anyone just because I, I, I felt like people almost considered him like some sort of some sort of scrub. And granted, he played in the wing tee in high school. Uh, you know, he didn't throw it all over the field the way a Tua Tungvalor or Bryce Young did in high school. So I get it. But um, the times he's played for Alabama, he's been very good. And look, here's the thing. He's got NFL talent everywhere around him. So... You know, you can be good, but when you got NFL talent around you, you're better. And I mean, that's—I just know you're, you're throwing to one of the best, two of the best receivers in the country, and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. Um, on the defensive side, I would completely two things that happened there is number one, you got Dylan Moses back, He's one of the best linebackers in the country, and that's huge. But number two, it allowed Christian Harris to not worry as much. He's the other linebacker, the other inside linebacker, to not worry as much about calling the signals and getting everyone lined up but to just play instinctive football, and he was phenomenal. So Alabama is really, really good at linebacker. And for the saving defense to work, you've got to be really, really good at linebacker. So I would agree completely. It looked like Alabama had that edge back defensively. I think the only question mark is it's almost an entirely reworked secondary other than Patrick Sertan. So I think it's going to take a little bit of time. It didn't look spot on, but I thought the front seven was very, very good for Alabama. What about Bryce Young? I mean, pretty pedestrian number, sacked a couple of times. He he didn't look, I don't know, this is unfair, but it didn't look like I remember Tua looking on well, uh, the first time he yeah. stepped on the field. And that, that's the whole, that's what everyone was making the comparison. I used to say it's unfair, but that's what every Alabama fan watching that was thinking. Well, they remembered back to that Vanderbilt game, the first time they ever saw Tua trying to blow up. And I remember it, too, because he came in and it was – different ball game. I mean, he, he came in and looked better than the starter. Hurts had started that game, and I'll never forget the Monday after that, our phone lines, I mean, almost the entire show, people saying, 
it's time to go to Tulane. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's it, and and you didn't get that out of Bryce Young. I didn't think he looked terrible. I thought his arm looked pretty good. Um, he didn't get a ton of protection for whatever reason. Alabama in the second half, their offensive line struggled a little bit. So he wasn't getting the best protection. He, you know, the pocket collapsed a couple times. The one thing I'll say is, I think as a high school quarterback, he was more known for the pull down and run, and he stayed patient with it. He didn't just bail on everything. He tried to go through his progressions, but you know, the pocket pocket presence, following that football, those are just things you can't do. So I don't think by any stretch he's pushing Mac Jones right now for for the starter job. So. I think I think Mac Jones is safe as of now, but I, I'm, I'm interested to see if they can get Bryce Young in with the ones who are fresh and see what he looks like. And maybe fresher offensive line if they get that opportunity. Yeah. Hey, 30 seconds. Music has started. Auburn has not won at Georgia since 2005. Do you think that changes on Saturday? Yeah. I do. I just think Georgia has played that poorly at quarterback. Now, JT Daniels could change that, but he hadn't played 13 months. So um, I think it's a low-scoring game, but I kind of like Auburn's spot there. All right. Ryan, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Yeah, you boys take care, man. It's always fun. That is Ryan Brown from the Jocks Roundtable. Great show they've got. Mornings in Birmingham on WJOX from 6 until 10. If you're in the area, be sure to check them out. Sports Talk Mississippi. Ryan Brown joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We will be right back. Got some drama in Minneapolis right now on the baseball field. 1-1 game between the Astros and the Twins. Astros have the bases loaded with two out, top of the ninth, and Jose Altuve at the plate. Hit only two nineteen this year in the regular season. Say what, hey, Dad? Somebody hit a trash can. Bang, bang, bang. Um, Not a great year for Altuve. Only five home runs all season long, and the Twins had a ground ball to get out of the inning. Blanco fielded it and uh, threw it away at second base to allow the bases to uh, load up. Sergio Romo is pitching for uh, the Twins, if you uh, if you care. And you've also got uh, one other game going on right now. Now, bottom of the eighth, White Sox leading it four to nothing over the Oakland A's. The A's though are threatening at home with runners at the corners. And nobody out late in the ballgame. Still scoreless in game one of the best of three series between Toronto and Tampa Bay. All right. Full disclosure. I watched very little NFL this weekend. We were wrapping up moving, and if you've ever moved, you know that even once you got all your stuff moved and you think you're done, you're not done. And Sunday was like dawn until dusk and then some... And so just very little I was able to watch. So going to rely heavily on you guys as we kind of recap the weekend in the NFL. Nick Foles comes off the bench for Chicago, ends up throwing three touchdowns, and is now named the starter for the Chicago Bears. Was that the story, or was the story that Atlanta once again blew a double-digit lead? I guess it can be both. Uh, I mean, yeah. it was always a mystery why they went ahead and started Trubisky when uh, apparently, now of course hindsight's always twenty twenty, but apparently everybody and their brother knew that Foles was the better quarterback when they decided to start Trubisky to start the season. But, I mean, I guess being a first-round pick gives you the benefit of the doubt. 
and that's why they signed Foles in the first place. They'll be in the market for a quarterback uh, in the draft next year. But Dan Quinn needs to be fired yesterday. The Buffalo Bills at one point led 28-3 to over L.A. They blew that lead, and they still managed to win. Late touchdown pass from Josh Allen. Buffalo is fun, and Josh Allen is fun. Any thoughts on the Bills? I mean, if they can't do it this year, they can't do it. If they can't make a, a you know, if they can't claim the East with 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 no Brady there, I mean, I know Cam Newton's playing pretty well, but if they, if they can't do it this year, they can't do it. And I, I, Josh Allen, that's a guy who's approved a lot of people wrong. This guy included that you know didn't didn't see much of an NFL future for him because he wasn't that dominant at uh, at Wyoming, but he's playing really really well. Don't sleep on the Pats now. They are about sleeping. a foot away from being undefeated. That's true. That is very true. Quite literally a foot yeah. away from being undefeated. Cam got helicoptered at the goal line or submarined at the goal line and couldn't quite get it uh, across. They've been impressive so far. Ryan Tannehill said after the game when the Titans beat Minnesota, it sure would be nice if we could kind of put one of these away before the final two minutes of the game. That's kind of the way they've won so far. A couple of game-winning field goals in the first two weeks from Steven Goskowski. This weekend he hit six field goals. It wouldn't be so close if they'd stick it in the end zone a little more often and stop kicking field goals. But a win 31-30, to Titans 3-0, and Vikings 0-3. The Vikings are the bigger story to me. I, mean, I expected the Titans to be pretty good this year. Um, but the Vikings at 0-3, considering that you know they, they made a run in the playoffs last year and beat the Saints. Eh, I mean, Kirk Cousins, not elite so far this, this year. At all, no. The not Titans so have far. won three games, and their point—they're dif- three and zero, and their point differential is plus six. Mm. There's something to be Clutch. said for figuring out how to win the close ones. And, and I'm not sure that you discount the run that they made in the second half of the season and into the playoffs last year in helping them in close games this year. No, you're right. You're right. And it helps when you can run the football as well as they do. The Patriots win by 16 over Vegas. And you just just simply say they're good. They're good. I mean, so they had some opt-outs and and whatnot, but the only difference really between that team and and last year's team is the quarterback. I'm not saying that Cam Newton is better than Tom Brady overall. However, a healthy Cam Newton is still a high, high, high high-level quarterback. And Isn't it fun to watch him healthy again? Oh my gosh, man. And, and it's still, it's amazing, even though we've watched him for years and we got to see him in college, it looks like he's moving in slow motion. And yet he pulls away in the open field from NFL secondaries. It, when he's healthy, he's incredible. And they use him in the right way. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty conservative offense still. They haven't exactly opened it up just yet. And let's not pretend he's got a bunch of weapons to distribute the football to, but... They're playing typical Patriots football with a little wrinkle, and it's working. I mean, I don't want to go this far, but I think to discount them even as like a Super Bowl contender, I think it's crazy not to do. Because it's still Bill Belichick, it's still the formula, and as long as Newton stays healthy, it's a dynamic quarterback running an offense that fits him really well. 
The Broncos are not very good. They're 0-3 now. They lost their best defensive player before the season started in Von Miller. They've lost uh, Drew Locke as their starting quarterback for the foreseeable future, and things were looking brighter with him. They've drafted a bunch of offensive guys. That wasn't the story, though, in Denver. The story was Tom Brady, three touchdown passes, 297 yards, and just a cruise control win for the Bucks, 28-10. to 10. There was a Brady's uh, not dead tweet yet. today. There was a tweet today talking about the Broncos, basically saying that they will decide between Driscoll and whoever the other guy is because they're not sure about Blake Bortles after only two practices. And I'm like, that is the saddest thing I've ever read. Like, how bad is your quarterback situation that we're we're debating between Jeff Driscoll and Blake Bortles? Brett Rippon was announced as the starter today for sure. the Thursday night game for the Broncos. I remember Mark Rippon played for the Redskins, uh, won a Super Bowl. Didn't Brett Rippon play at Boise State? Only we had a device. Let's Borky, Cowboys, Seahawks he did, he did. was a classic. Seahawks win at 38-31. Russell Wilson, you know, you can argue, you can argue whoever you want to in, in terms of the uh, of quarterbacks that are elite in the NFL. But if he's not in the top Two or three at the worst in the discussion, you're not doing it right. I think you learned last night it's top two. I'm glad finally people are starting to realize that we are allowed to criticize Lamar Jackson for not showing up in big games. When you've got a defense that is able to limit him in the run, or if they get behind early and force him into obvious passing situations, he's not as effective. He's still got a good arm. He's accurate. Like I'm not saying he's bad. But this is year three now where... National pundits have just roasted anybody willing to criticize Lamar Jackson for not showing up in big games because how dare you? Well, he was bad in his two playoff appearances and cannot at all play well against the Chiefs. I mean, hasn't done it yet. Uh, last night showed you that it's it's Patrick, not Pat, by the way. His mom got mad because the announcers last night kept calling him Pat instead of Patrick. It is is Patrick Mahomes, as she so sternly corrected. It is Mahomes, it is Russell Wilson, and honestly, the way Aaron Rodgers has been playing, if you had a choice between Rodgers and Jackson, I think you would pick Rodgers. He's still at a high level at his age. By the way, Patrick Mahomes last night, 31 of 42 for 385 with four touchdowns, and oh, by the way, a rushing touchdown on four carries. Yeah, I agree with Borky's uh, top three there. I don't have a problem with that. It's just how casual Mahomes is. I mean, the throws he was making last night, it's receivers that are covered. The one in particular, I don't even know how you describe it, where he was kind of drifting off to his right and just kind of flicked it over off his back foot, and he threw it into a basket that was literally only the size of the football. If it was anywhere else besides the basket that is just the size of the football, it falls incomplete or is intercepted. Just the most incredible pass you've ever seen. And he just, he's casual. Just kind of leans back, flicks it up, no big deal, and he drops it into a basket that nobody else could do. The guy is on a level, somebody said it last night, I forget who, somebody that covers the NFL that said, I don't think people really quite understand exactly how special of a performance that you see on a weekly basis with him. He gets talked about all the time, and people still don't quite understand how special he is. There are seven undefeated teams in the NFL. 
Seahawks are three and zero. Bears and the Packers are three and zero. The Chiefs are three and zero. Titans are three and zero. Steelers are three and zero. Bills are three and zero. Who's the best team in the NFL? We'll talk about that when we come back. And which of the three and zero teams are faking it right now? Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. We will be right back. All right, so I told you seven NFL teams are off to a 3 0 start. The Bills in the AFC East, the Steelers in the AFC North, the Titans in the AFC South, the Chiefs in the AFC West. NFC North, two teams, the Packers and the Bears, NFC South, nobody. And out west on the NFC side of things, the Seahawks are 3 0. Who's the best team in the NFL right now? The reigning Super Bowl champions. Yeah, it's it's really not that difficult. Is there anybody that you put a close second to? Would you give Seattle at three and zero a close second to the Chiefs? Without a doubt, defensively they're about, not as good. I don't know about close, but they're second. I mean, I okay. think. I think because you won't see, or they won't see, if we're talking playoffs, Seattle until a potential Super Bowl. People sleeping on Pittsburgh. They did it going into the season. I picked them to to win the division. One of those rare things that I got right. Um, Roethlisberger looks healthy. It's just three weeks in. By, so, by the way, we are only three weeks in. Haven't gotten anything right just yet. Uh, but just the fact that they looked as good as they they have, and and they are as good as they are. That people just slept on them going into it because it's all Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, forgetting the fact that Pittsburgh has been the most consistent team in that division for fifteen years. Roethlisberger's healthy. The roster's good. There's weapons there. The defense is good. And it, it just nobody really talked about them. I don't think, as much as I love Kansas City and as good as they are, they're just going to sleepwalk their their way through the AFC, not with as good as Pittsburgh is. There are a lot of people that have wondered out loud today why it is that Dak receives the amount of criticism that he receives and Lamar Jackson seems to get a pass when clearly – Dak Prescott is a significantly better passer than Lamar Jackson. Is it as simple as such is life when you are the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys? Yep. There probably. it is right there. Your owner coming down on you the way Jerry Jones did today probably doesn't help that much, though. And also, I tell you, I think that was taken out of context. All right. I know people I, love to beat up on Jerry Jones. Uh-huh. I have not but, listened to it. All I've seen is the quote. So you help me out here. Well, so... One of the reporters that covers the Cowboys basically paraphrased from a radio interview that Jerry said that Russell Westbrook and Patrick Mahomes and even Tony Romo would have made the play that Dak didn't make. Well, here's here's the, the full quote. Here's the full context. Obviously with Mahomes, who I think is at the highest level right now because of his natural ability to make plays, his mobility. And this guy is very quick and elusive and can get in and out of situations with his feet and buy time. Russell Wilson is that kind of nature. He has great ability to get in and out and then make the play. That play Dak made at the end of the game that got intercepted was the result of Dak's ability that let him get that ball off. was really great and outstanding. These guys do that and have that ability a lot. All three are very quick-footed, and they have the unique ability to possibly take their eyes away from the field for a minute and then immediately focus back and see. 
Romo had that as well. The, the only he issue has there a, is, like, Romo? Romo was... The, the, the legend of Romo is, is sort of overstated, isn't he? Isn't especially it? in Jerry Jones' mind. Yeah. But I don't... I don't... I mean, Jerry Jones has a weird delivery style. His delivery is very choppy. And people always assume he's going to say something that is deserving of being labeled a lightning rod. I think he was being complimentary of his quarterback. And he was putting Dak in his ability to move around and make a play, even though it was an interception ultimately. I think he was kind of putting him ability-wise right there with Westbrook and Mahomes. I'm sorry, Wilson and Mahomes. That's the way I interpret that. If that's that's the case, then yeah, it's not as bad as as it was made out to be for sure. Borky, Clarence Hill Jr. was the guy that originally tweeted that, and yeah, he, he covers the Cowboys for the Star Telegram. Either he was referencing another quote, or, or he was way off on that. But as far as the the criticism in relation to Jackson and, and Dak, um, there there was there's some kind of cult thing that happened with Lamar Jackson falling where he did. And so you have people in the media that are basically actively rooting for him to succeed because apparently it's a slight to get drafted in the first round. And you had people asking him to you know, try out and play wide receiver, and for some reason you have that kind of element going on as well. But Lamar Jackson's been to the playoffs his first two seasons, and he's going to go back. Removed Dak's rookie year, and the Cowboys have struggled. And on top of being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, that's why he gets it more than Jackson does, because Jackson's teams are better. And that's not fair, but that's what's happening. So here was the original tweet from Clarence Hill. Jerry Jones said Dak Prescott not being able to pull off that last play of the game against the Seahawks is the difference between he and Patrick Mahomes or even Tony Romo. They could have pulled it off. Wow, did I hear that correctly? Clearly, Clarence, no, you you didn't. But, hey, accuracy doesn't really matter. It's just people's livelihoods. No biggie. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk Mississippi with you rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Here's a nugget for you. The Minnesota Twins have lost 17 straight postseason baseball games. That's tough to swallow. Just so you know. The first presidential debate is tonight, and you can hear it right here on Super Talk Mississippi starting at 8 o'clock. Joe Biden and Donald Trump take the stage. Everyone will be talking about this one. Don't miss it. First presidential debate starting at 8 p.m. tonight right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601 879 4395. Be honest. You know your business deserves better, so get better with a Ceasefire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how Ceasefire can power your success today at ceasefire.com/business. Time right now 
for the College Football Fix. The College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough. It's truck month at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Test drive the F-150, best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years, or the Super Duty, or the Ford Ranger. College Football Fix right now. We're going to kind of stretch this over two segments because there are two things we're going to do. One... We're going to look at the games that are coming up this week involving SEC teams. Not just involving SEC teams, but SEC games. I got to fix the lingo a little bit. It's not just involving SEC teams anymore. It's conference games every week, and I love it. We'll look at uh, what Vegas has to say about those. And then our based on on on-field results only... Sports Talk Mississippi, college football overreaction after week one power rankings. Borky, did I, um, can we put all that like on a business card? It's a little wordy. I don't know if it'll fit. Maybe an acronym. Maybe. So let's start with the games this week. Hey, Dad, you look like you were set to... uh, I was trying to figure it out in my head, like Stamo. I can't do it. Stamogli Zaka, or yeah. something like that. Uh, I like no, it. The it really sweet. rolls off the tongue, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds Greek. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. The point is, we may overreact a little bit. It's not necessarily based on what you think they're going to be. Although I probably at the bottom of my rankings couldn't help but do just a little bit of that. There's some slight projecting that's going to go into these, just because that's human nature. Yeah. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. Let's start, though, with the games this week. Early, 11 a.m. on ESPN. South Carolina against Florida. South Carolina and Florida. Gamecocks are a big road underdog. Florida, 17.5-point favorite following their Week 1 performance against Ole Miss in Oxford. I don't know if that line's big enough. Okay. For last week and, and getting burned by all the big lines, I don't know if I want to go down that road again. Last week we had three lines that closed at – well, I, I don't know if they closed there, but they, at one point they got to 28. You don't have any of those in the 20s this week. Not one. I'll just say this. Colin Hill is not as talented as Matt Corral, and that offense is far less dynamic and a whole lot more boring than the one that Florida just played against. It's true. That is, I think you're true on everything you just said. Mike Bobo will limit possessions, On purpose. Like, that's, that's what they want to do. That's what they want their brand to be, is boring and monotonous. It's, I mean, I guess... You know, they're the hipsters of college football. They're going against the gray now. Everybody wants to be dynamic and in space and, you know, fast. And in South Carolina, it's fun. Fun. <laughs> and in South Carolina, it's how can we shorten this game as much as possible and be as uncreative and as boring and as slow as we possibly can be? Really mix it up. But it's not shorten the game in the sense of a service academy running the triple option either. 
No, they just take forever. Felt like the game was in slow motion. I am anxious to see if Florida's defense looks better this week. And if you're an Ole Miss fan, you hope that the answer is, yeah, they look a lot better. Because I think that would tell you something about Ole Miss's offense. I have a feeling they will by default, but your point still stands. Early game number two, Missouri is at Tennessee. So Missouri loses at home to Alabama. And Tennessee wins on the road against South Carolina. And Tennessee is now an 11.5 point favorite against Missouri in week two. Did you watch Mm. enough of the Missouri game to feel like Oh, I got a read on anything. Not no, I didn't watch hardly any of the Missouri game, and I, of what I watched from Tennessee, I thought they were a little bit disappointing. I can see Tennessee winning another close one here. I might take the points. Watched the vast majority of both, and I think a product of Missouri's blowout is the fact that something that you touched on earlier, and we talked about yesterday, Alabama number one was extremely prepared, and. I mean, they're an undefeated a candidate to go undefeated and win the college football playoff. I mean, this is they looked like a typical Nick Saban Alabama team. And so how can we really judge Missouri, who was down double-digit guys because of COVID, on top of playing what is one of, if not the best team in the country? So I have no read on Missouri whatsoever. Alabama's a 16-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Texas A&M. My only hesitation, only hesitation here, is I don't know exactly what Nick Saban wants to accomplish. Does he want to push this thing out to a a three-and-a-half, four-score lead and then see what Bryce Young can give you? To try and keep his guys as healthy as possible in a weird season? Or is Alabama just going to go out and play? I have a feeling the they're last, just going to go out and play. Yeah, the last since Texas A&M has come into the conference, and since Man, I guess I should say since Manziel left, uh, Alabama usually wins this game by double digits, and and sometimes more by like you know seventeen to eighteen points. The only the only uh, twenty seventeen is the only outlier in that. So history tells us to take the Crimson Tide and give the points here. Ole Miss is a road underdog at Kentucky. Kentucky a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Line feels about right. That is the sweet spot right there, man. A a very different challenge than the one they just had. I mean, the quarterbacks could not be further apart. Kyle Trask is a pocket passer, not exactly mobile, but really distributes a great football. Terry Wilson is a questionable passer, really mobile. Kentucky's going to be good on the offensive line as a good running back. Veterans all over the defensive side, but isn't as talented as Florida. But they're going to slow it down and play more physical, or Florida just lit Ole Miss up through the air. Terry Wilson's not capable of doing that. Completely different challenge for Ole Miss this week. Very different challenge. I think the only advice I would give here is if you decide to take Ole Miss, pay the double juice and get and buy the hook. You, you want that at seven. Because if you win, it doesn't matter. But you don't want to lose by, you know, have, have Ole Miss lose by seven and you got them at six and a half. Yeah. 
It's worth the investment there. Georgia is a six and a half point favorite at home against Auburn. Hey, Dad, what you're saying? I, I don't believe in Auburn. They're oh no, I thought you were going to give me the wrong team favored here. Oh. No, 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 no. I, I would take Georgia laying a touchdown. Yeah, I think when Daniels comes in, they'll be a lot cleaner offensively. Okay. This has the makings of being a horrendous football game. I agree with that. <laughs> going to be ugly. Mississippi State is an 18-point favorite at home against Sam Pittman and the Arkansas Razorbacks. Expect said, to see some zone. Yeah. If I said the final score was State 42-20, you would believe that, right? So I That I would, covers I would, the 18. I would, I would give the points. And LSU... Based on everything they showed in terms of dynamic offensive production last week, is a 20 point favorite at Vanderbilt. See how it goes. LSU scored 66 in Nashville last year. Different team, I'm aware, but nevertheless. Our week one overreactive power rankings coming up next. More recognition for Mississippi State quarterback K.J. Costello after his performance last week. He was named the Maxwell Award Player of the Week. That's in addition to being named the Walter Camp FBS National Offensive Player of the Week, Davey O'Brien, Great Eight List, Manning Awards Stars of the Week list, and the SEC Player of the Week. Do you get trophies for all those or plaques or certificates or what? Probably quicker if you just list the awards he didn't win. And I haven't found one of those yet. Defensive okay. player of the week. You're welcome. I know. Fair enough. Other than that, he kind of won them all. Yeah. All right, Borky, how do you propose we do the power rankings? So, if it's just based on what you saw, I think that would be disingenuous because, for example... I think Alabama's the best team, but they're not getting the most flash after their game. So use what you saw as your guiding light, but if there's a close okay. tie, use what you think the team really is as you know your tiebreaker, if you will. So overreact to what you saw on Saturday. Like, I'm going to put Mississippi State ahead of Georgia. Georgia's more talented, pro- I mean, possibly a better team, but based on what I saw, Mississippi State would beat Georgia tomorrow. Kind of like that. Okay. Here's what I've got. 1 through 14. Number one, Alabama. Defense showed me what I needed to see. Mac Jones was really good, really efficient. They've got weapons. There doesn't appear to be a weakness, including in the kicking game, which is a bit of a surprise for Alabama. Bama one. Florida two. They blew me away with offense, Trask, the whole deal. Number three, Mississippi State. No way I would have had them here a week ago. Nobody would have. But what they did was so impressive. It was fun. It was cool. It was energetic. And the two biggest questions that I had about Mississippi State, at least on a, on a one-week sample size, were answered. Are the receivers going to be better? Yes, in spades. 
And can the defense be better than I thought they were going to be? They had, what, seven sacks? Yes. Now, I don't want to gloss over the defensive side because they did give up 34 points. They did allow to a very average Miles Brennan to throw for 340 yards or whatever it was. And so I'm not just like buying Mississippi State's defense wholesale, but they were functional and they were better than I thought they were going to be, and they showed the ability to get pressure on the quarterback, and so that's enough to go along with that offense for me, to have them at number three. Auburn number four. Maybe a little high. I think they beat a pretty good team in Kentucky. Bo Nix was solid. I think their defense is really good. Georgia five, although nah, nah. That offense worried me. I mean, that was a bad first half against Alabama. I know they turned it on in the second half, but they were playing a really bad team in Arkansas. But for now, I'll go Georgia 5. Tennessee at 6. I think Tennessee has figured out how to win. And that's really important. You may raise your eyebrows here because this team did not win a game. I'm going to put Ole Miss at 7. I know the defense is a disaster. And if they don't figure that out, they can't stay at number 7. But offensively, they were good, they were creative, Corral was solid, Elijah Moore was dynamite, Jerrion Ely was really, really good. You had the emergence of Ontario Drummond, he had a couple of touchdown catches in the game. Kenny Yaboa, second half, played pretty well. I got Ole Miss at seven. Texas A&M, who actually won but looked awful doing so against a really bad Vanderbilt team, is at eight. LSU at nine. Kentucky at ten. Maybe that's too low for Kentucky. We'll see. South Carolina, 13, and then Mizzou, Arkansas, and Vanderbilt in that order. That may not be fair to Vanderbilt because they did play reasonably well against Texas A&M. I just think they get nothing offensively. So I got them there at 14. That's my 1 through 14. Arguments? Agreements? Not a lot of differences. I did have uh, Bama 1 because they looked like the most complete team uh, in the SEC. Florida 2 because I think after Alabama, Florida has the the most potential to be a title contender as far as the athletes and stuff like that that they had. Uh, questionable defense, but I think Florida is the second best team in the SEC and they're on a collision course for the conference championship. Mississippi State at 3. You go to Baton Rouge and win the way they did, you can't be any lower than that. Auburn at four? Because Auburn at least looked competent offensively. Really, really good defense. Shut down the run early. I I don't love this, but I have Georgia at five. They looked like crap. So so far, we're identical. I had Texas A&M at six, but I don't love that. They did win their game, but I I don't love it. Uh, I have actually Ole Miss at seven. Kentucky at 8, Tennessee at 9. So I have two teams with losses ahead of Tennessee right now. Did not love anything I saw from Tennessee. South Carolina kind of shot themselves in the foot more so than Tennessee won the game. I wasn't impressed with either one. LSU at 10. That'll probably change, but this is overreaction Monday slash Tuesday. 
Missouri, Arkansas, Vandy, South Carolina, in that order to close it out. All right. All right. You got South Carolina at 14. Yeah, that was ugly. All right, hey, Dad, what you got? Um, I did rank them winners and then losers, so there's no team with a loss ahead of Texas A&M, who's I have at seventh. Uh, I have I, I did go Bama, Florida, MSU. I feel like we're all not willing to pull the trigger here, based on what you saw Saturday. MSU, you can make a very very strong case to be one. You know, Bama was good against uh, against Missouri. I, Florida, you can make a, a much stronger case to be one. To be totally honest, they they were they looked really good. I thought, but I did go Bama, Florida, MSU. I got Georgia four, Auburn five. Tennessee 6th, A&M 7th. I have Ole Miss at 8th, LSU at 9th, Carolina's 10th. I was impressed with Carolina. I thought they were going to get blown out. They kept it close. They had a chance to win, if not for their dumb coach. Kentucky, uh, I guess, is 11, Mizzou 12, Arkansas 13, and Vanderbilt 14. Okay. There's not a ton of variation there. I think Borky and I had Ole Miss at 7. Hey, Dad, you had them at 8. And I I decided I was okay with a losing team being ranked in the power rankings ahead of a team that won. Honestly, yeah. Ole Miss and Kentucky, now that I think about it, were more impressive than Texas A&M, which is a low Kentucky bar. Kentucky only scored 13 points. Yeah, well, A&M scored 17 at home against Vanderbilt. Yeah. That's a good point. Kentucky's competition was very different than that of Texas A&M. Hey, Dad, I get what you're saying about Mississippi State being impressive enough to deserve to be in that number one overall slot. I just thought, I, I don't know, I thought Alabama it's, looked good. It's sort of like Bama won on points if it was a boxing match. They didn't knock anybody out, but they're the champ. They didn't lose. They were good enough. So, you know, you don't you don't drop them. Is that yeah. how, it's like how they weren't even sweating when the, the match was over, you know? they yeah. They could have gone and knocked the guy out, but they played some defensive boxing and just kind of beat him, and at the end they went and had a beer because they weren't even beat up. Yeah. Never really interested in throwing a haymaker. It was like, let's work on body blows. Yeah. yeah. Just They just jabbed them all night. My trainer said my left hook needs work, so I really set myself up to throw some of those in there. Kind of like a minor league pitcher. You know you'll go to a minor league game and the guy's throwing like nothing but curveballs for some reason and just getting <laughs> rocked. And you got the fan behind you. What's he doing? Well, they're working on his curveball, and they don't care how many times it gets hit. They're just going to keep throwing it. All right. Uh, some of your reactions on the ceasefire text line. I do think that Florida is better than MSU, but did Florida look better against a consensus poor Ole Miss defense, or did MSU look better against a defense that still has some four and five star players on it? It's a very fair question. Uh, that's reasonable. Here's a message that says LSU would stomp A&M. Uh, Here's a message, which, by the way, maybe you joined us in progress, but the entire point of this exercise was to overreact just a little bit after only one game. Hence your message, it's only one game, I'm hoping was intended sarcastically. It wasn't. Someone please tell Borky to stop whispering in the mic when he's trying to make a point. Here lately, he's beginning to sound condescending. I'm sorry, you're very stupid. <laughs> this is the guy that comes into the text line on the Sunday show and harasses me. What? Oh. 
I'll go the other way with that. Yeah. So now that you said that, I'm going to do it more. Somebody says what Kiffin did with Ole Miss offense is unbelievable. Biggest turnaround on offense I've ever seen. Hate to say that, but it was a great win. Did you did you not watch Mississippi State last year? Biggest turnaround on offense you ever saw was Ole Miss? No. And you remember what Ole Miss looked like offensively last year? Better than State. We have uh, received a message on the ceasefire text line. Told you earlier today, you want to listen to the presidential debate, you can do so on Super Talk Mississippi. Just please don't engage in this activity while listening to debate. Uh, debate if you happen to be listening in your car. Would not. This is an at-home, not going anywhere for a while activity. This evening's Hey Dad presidential debate drinking game. Ooh. The following six items will cause you to take a drink. Biden says, here's the deal. Trump says, China. (laughs) Anyone says coronavirus. Biden stumbles on his words. Trump says, huge. Trump says, we're going to make America great again. Legal tells me that if you play this game, you must drink responsibly and just don't do this. Those are the things that will cause you to take a sip. These are the things that would cause you to take a shot. Trump says millions or billions repeatedly. Biden says malarkey. Trump says China virus. Biden babbles incoherently. It feels like a judgment call. Trump says, Sleepy Joe. Biden says, Come on, man. (laughs) You know what's going to happen. He's going to go, Come on, man. Here's the deal. And he got to go, Shot beer. Shot sip. Yeah. Uh, Finish your drink. Number one, if Biden forgets where he is. Number two, if they shake hands. Got no chance of that. Number three, if Trump's hair falls off. (laughs) And number four, if a fight breaks out. (laughs) Now, does it have to be between them? What if there's just a fight in the the audience? Or what about him decides to fight Chris Wallace? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like King Biscuit says, just on sips, I'll be passed out in ten minutes. I assume this isn't like an event with a crowd, right? Or are they going to have people there? No people, I don't think. Okay. Let's say we can get an Antifa versus QAnon brawl going. Mm -hmm. Easy. (laughs) Somebody says they think it might be a a tie between Mississippi State and Ole Miss for biggest offensive turnaround. I would disagree. I just have to. Hey, Dad, you watched the Egg Bowl last year. I did. Neither one of those teams can move the football. But State threw for 632 yards, and they they completely changed what they were about offensively. Like last year, what Rich Rod wanted to do and what Lane was run the wall. To do, but but, but I mean, what I'm saying is, and what Ole Miss has done in the past under Longo, 
They've been a throwing team. They weren't last year, but they have been in the past. Mississippi State has never been a throwing team. Never, not once. And they threw for 632 yards. <laughs> they get the week one big, biggest turnaround award, as far as I'm concerned. Conflicting reports uh, from Dave and Blake and somebody else. 100 people or 80 people in the audience. It will be a small crowd. Uh, there- it happened. Here's a, a political take for you. Find out on Gallo uh, for more. There should be no audience at a debate. Because crowd reactions shouldn't gauge what you think about what they said. And studies have shown that crowd reaction can manipulate your reaction. That's why bad TV shows put laugh tracks. Because you think it's funnier than it actually is. Go watch a YouTube video of any show. Big Bang Theory especially, it's awful without the laugh track. It's not <laughs> funny. But the laugh track makes you know, gives you, it kind of tells you what your reaction should be. Take a, a crowd away from a debate, and you actually get to hear and, and not judge based on how somebody else reacted. Studies have showed that people are manipulated based on crowd reactions at things like debates. Get rid of them altogether. And then tune in to Gallo tomorrow at 6 for more. Blake says Gallo is where he heard 100 people in the audience. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Hey, Dad thinks Auburn loses to LSU and State beats A&M. Yikes, I hope he's not a gambling man. Also, Ole Miss would have beaten LSU on Saturday. They stink. Hey, Dad is very confused between the quality of opponent of Florida and LSU. Okay. You got all that? I do. I am a gambling man. Name name the price. I got money coming to me from Mike in Oxford in a few weeks. Here's one that says Borky is the smartest millennial I know. Ain't that the truth? You didn't whisper it there, Borky. I forgot. Uh, So the debate's at Case Western tonight. Case Western Reserve University. Everybody that's in the audience has to go undergo testing. I'll tell you one reason they have audience at debates, and it's not the same everywhere. But there were a bunch of, like, in 2008 when Ole Miss hosted the first presidential debate, there were a bunch of people that helped underwrite the cost of that. Ah, <laughs> and there were there, you know, Ford Center's not huge. Seats about, what, 1,800, 2,000, something like that. Um, But that very limited number of seats went to benefactors and corporations and whatnot who helped underwrite it. Didn't they have to shut a large portion of campus down for like a month leading up to that for all the Secret Service screening and all that stuff that had to go into that event? There were areas that were closed, but not for that long. We need to remind yourself to ask Will about it because he was heavily involved with the media side of things at Ole Miss at the time. And he's got a really good story about the debate involving the closure of campus. Because the debate happened the weekend Ole Miss beat Florida. That's exactly right. And anyway, we got to ask him about that. It's a really good story. And he tells it much better than I about him working for the radio station on campus there while the football team beat Florida and they're getting ready for a debate at the same time and you can't go to parts of campus and stuff. It's pretty good. So Ole Miss played at Florida the day following the debate. The debate was Friday night. In Oxford, and then Ole Miss was at Florida on Saturday, and that was the Tebow speech game. You know, he made the speech. 
no no team in America will ever play as hard or no player will ever that. Mm-hmm. So, I actually did a flashback to that, that uh, the, uh, this past week for the pregame show. I watched that game at the uh, Isle of Capri in uh, Biloxi. Um, yeah, that was a that was a really neat time. And here's the thing: so the debate in 2008 almost didn't happen. Like, uh, what was it? Tuesday, Monday, or Tuesday of that week? McCain's campaign said they weren't going to participate because that's when you had the financial collapse and the government shut down and they had to make decisions about that and whatnot. Robert Kyatt, who was the chancellor at the time, had even expressed the uh, the possibility of, well, if the McCain campaign is not going to participate, then the Obama campaign or Obama can have the stage and do a Q&A like a town hall style Q&A. And it wasn't until Thursday about lunchtime, the day before the debate, where the McCain campaign came back and said, okay, we're going to participate. I mean, it was, I mean, there were millions and millions and millions of dollars invested in that event. And it almost, sorry, (laughs) well played. And it almost didn't happen. It almost didn't happen. Crazy. So, we, um, I had a small event management company at the time, and we hosted the debate watch party and the post-debate rally for the McCain side of things. It was a lyric. It was a cool deal. Uh, Borky, hey, Dad, what is your take on Leach's post-game demeanor and attitude? Personally, he's the best I've ever seen. Love the show, Spence and Brookhaven. I mean, he's definitely very chill. You know, he's he's. I I I can't wait to see him finally get phased by something. And I have seen the you know the uh, the video of the fat little girlfriends and stuff like that. And but I haven't seen it personally yet, so I don't know what's going to get him all riled up yet. But I'm sure it's coming. But yeah, I mean, he's a guy that when he wins, I mean, he's he's enjoying himself. You know, so it, it's fun. It's fun. You know, we, we and it's going to be a uh, a fun ride to cover. I think. Our f- Sorry, go ahead, Borky. Uh, he just—he strikes me as a guy that I, th- this obviously isn't true because you're not good, this good of a football coach, unless it's you know something that you deeply care about. But after wins like that, he strikes me as a guy that just does football like we play weekend golf. Like, yeah, a hole in one today. How cool is that? Yeah, we just beat LSU yeah. and Baton Rouge. Yeah, that was pretty cool, huh? Better than average. Yeah, so that was today. What, yeah, do, you, what are you guys average. doing later? Uh, nothing. Okay. Uh, that's the kind of demeanor he has. Like, he's just doing football for fun on the weekend. Strider, our friend in Indianola, says, Hey, Dad, tell all those hating Rebel Bear Sharks, GTH Ole Miss. Let's take this opportunity to rub their noses in it. You got that, hey, Dad? He, he just said it all. What else do I need to say? We'll wrap it up next. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.